you're really always looking at the potential and all the positives that go on in these relationships. And this happens a lot with codependents and addicts because we're like, oh, they're so good though. They're so good. When they're good, they're good. But when they're bad, they're bad. So trauma bonding, we can talk about this in depth tonight about what exactly it is within an addictive relationship. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of Till the Wheels Fall Off. I'm Matt. I'm Paige. Man, and this uh, this crud <laughs> that's been going around. Landed. Tag, you're it. <laughs> God, oh, it's awful. It's awful. I'd say I'm sorry, but I mean, we're bonded now. Speaking of bonded, we'll get there. But <laughs> I feel like the the uh, the Quaker oatmeal guy is in my head, and he's just making oatmeal and stuffing it into my sinuses all day. That's disgusting. That's what it feels like. Why does that like, have to be oatmeal? Why couldn't it be something else? I don't know. Oatmeal. It feels like oatmeal. It's just like so thick, and it's clogging my head. And forgive me, I sound like poo, and that's fine. It just is what it is. He's kind of had a man cold. Oh, I don't really do that. But don't even start with me. You kind of do, but it's okay because I understand how you feel because it is miserable. I'm a little offended about this whole man flu oh, thing because I've always prided myself on not being the man flu guy. Like when I have fever, I will actually get up and do things, you know? Yeah. You were going to do me. Okay, whatever. That's fine. I disagree. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave it at that. Uh, happenings in the, in our lives, in our world. Uh, not a whole heck of a lot. Still working really hard in the background to introduce some really cool stuff to you guys in the, Coming months, maybe possibly weeks, depends on how fast we can get this stuff done. Mm-hmm. It's tough with the whole life. With the whole life? Yeah, with the whole life, like yes. doing other things. Yes, and being sick for a month at once. Yeah, yeah, it's been tough, but it's been awesome. So, uh, and also stick around at the end of this episode because we are going to start answering listener questions. Last episode, we answered a question I thought was relevant for a whole episode. I think that one's pretty good. What do you think? Yeah. And then, but I'd like to address questions at the end of every episode. It's like a little segment. Questions from listeners. Yep. I, thought, I think that'd be fun. So oh, stick that's around. That's a great idea. I love it when you brought that up. That's stick, awesome. stick around at the end of that. Okay. So we have been having a lot of discussion in the background on the topic of narcissism. Yeah. Narcissism has become the new buzzword of social media, particularly TikTok. Um, if you're not familiar with are you okay over here? I'm sorry, there is a gnat flying around me and it keeps getting in my face. It's probably from this plant behind me. It doesn't look so hot. Well, the bird's keeping it up. Oh, goodness. Okay. Narcissism. Anyway, narcissism has become like the new buzzword on social media. It is popular. Search results are through the roof. There are more videos about this than you could ever imagine. And I've got a friend um, who's got a PhD in this stuff. And we were talking and he was like, this is just blowing my mind how popular this has become. He he described it like um, like eating at a restaurant like your whole life, and then all of a sudden it's super crowded because everyone finds out about it, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Hey, what's going on? Like, why is everyone here? Like, what's <laughs> what's with this?" He sort of described it like that, and, and the three of us have had a lot of really cool and interesting conversations around this topic around narcissism. So I think that narcissism. Okay, before I start. It's valid, right? There are a lot of people who deal with narcissistic relationships and I'm not coming at anybody at all, but I I see it, the word and the term thrown around a lot, almost like, um, you know how like in like the late nineties, it was like, that guy's a psycho. 
Like, yeah. That's how they would refer to people who were just kind of like wheels off. Yeah. Like, it's a psycho. Now, yeah. now it's that guy's a narcissist. Yeah. Like that's just become the accepted term for someone who is like selfish and they're just generally a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. But real narcissism, narcissistic personality disorder affects roughly 10% of the population. Mm-hmm. And we've had a lot of discussion about why that is too. If it seems so prevalent, then, then what could be driving some of this? And a theory that we have um, that we're going to dig into much more starting today right now here in this episode is if you look at the behavior, the behavior of a narcissist, you look at all the, so the, um, the DSM-5 is the, it's essentially the Bible for diagnosing mental disorders. And if you look in the criteria, you wouldn't, if I covered up the chapter, you wouldn't know if you were reading about addiction or if you were reading about narcissism. Yeah. And we spend a lot of times in, in groups that deal with, you know, narcissistic abuse and as well as addiction abuse and the two overlap. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, studies are showing that these things aren't necessarily distinct, that they do have a ton of overlap. So a lot of the things that take place in narcissistic relationships also take place in addicted relationships. And we've got a lot to say on both of these topics. Mm-hmm. But today we're going to focus on trauma bonding. Yes. Trauma bonding, which is, you will commonly find this type of language when referring to narcissistic relationships, narcissistic personality disorder, and the types of spouses, partners that these people have. Right. Um, but I think it's especially relevant to the addict-alcoholic relationship as well. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so tell me how you came across this. And like, you were, you were, you were kind of like our friend. Like, when you first started hearing about all this narcissist stuff, you were like, what in the world? Where did all this come from? Like, I've been, been in therapy for this stuff for years. Oh, yeah. And I've been learning like about narcissism for a very long time. It's something that I've researched a lot on. And I've it's been popping up a lot more recently because I, I do work with a lot of people. And um, that word gets thrown out a lot. So I decided to just do some research. And then this this blog came up about trauma bonding. And I've heard trauma bond a lot, but I never really looked into it. You know, I just didn't think anything of it. And as I was reading through this, I was like, holy crap. You know how we're always telling people that they have this feeling of they hold on to the um, greatness of the partner that they're with or yeah. the, um, oh my gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Benefits? Like, no, I don't no, no, no. Like, like the- when you're with somebody and you're, we say it all the time. We were saying it in our recent call. Oh my gosh, I'm like completely blanking out right now. I don't know. I, I've always thought of it as like you can, it's really easy to romanticize the good times. Yes, you're looking at the highs, the really positive stuff, but potential. Potential. <laughs> Potential's like, yeah, tattooed That's the on word. somewhere. That's the word. That's what potential. I'm talking about. So you're really always looking at the potential and all the positives that go on in these relationships. And this happens a lot with codependents and addicts because we're like, oh, They're so good, though. They're so good. When they're good, they're good. But when they're bad, they're bad. So trauma bonding, we can talk about this in depth tonight, about what exactly it is within an addictive relationship. Yeah, I think this is very fitting, and I think that it is validating, and I think that it's it's something that a lot of people are going to hear and be like, holy crap, I've been seen. Uh Uh-huh, because that's how I felt when I read this. So what is a trauma bond? So a trauma bond occurs when someone becomes overly loyal or attached to another individual who exhibits toxic behavior. Um, it's highly prevalent, like we mentioned, in narcissistic relationships where there are repeated cycles of these of emotional or physical trauma, then followed by these intermittent periods of positive reinforcement. Yes. So it's like a roller coaster. Right. And whenever those positive reinforcement reinforcements happen, we actually get like a dopamine 
release. Yeah, it's sort of like it fills a need and it almost becomes like an addiction in itself. Right. That's why the cycle keeps continuing. So <laughs> derail us just a little bit. You always said like you liked bad boys and projects. Yeah. And it's funny, like <laughs> this explains it. Like when I was using, you would get these little glimpses and like, oh, I did that. I fixed that. Like that felt really good. Let me, let me go through that again. And so then you go through the, the, you know, the lull, like the, the dip and you deal with all that crap, but to you, it's worth that rush at the top. Yeah. To feel that rush again, to it's feel like that closeness, that connection. Drug. Yeah. Man, it's we crazy. are so similar. We really are. We really are. And we were talking about this, like uh, romanticizing, right? Like it's so easy in your mind to romanticize good times and forget the bad. Let's just say you have a, a job that if I asked you on any ordinary day, I would say, how do you like your job? You would say, eh, I kind of hate it if I'm honest. Yeah. But then there are times where you can recall that one time that you got recognition in the meeting and everyone clapped for you. And you're like, man, it's actually a pretty good place to work. Like strong culture. They pay me all right. But if you really look at it, stretch it out over time, <laughs> this is crap. And it is crap. And over time, the average says that it's generally crap. But we'll look at those couple it's high moments. It's like toxic positivity. Because we live in a society where it's like, you need to be look positive, at the good stuff. Look at the positive stuff. Be grateful for what you have. And it makes us dismiss the negative. When in reality, we need to look at this negative stuff. Because it is affecting us. Yeah, and it's not too dissimilar from what I've dealt with in my life. And you can relate to this yep. in a different way. Uh -huh. um, addicts, alcoholics that are recovered. Um, <laughs> they say it is the... Um, you know, it's, it's the dream of every abnormal drinker to one day think that they can drink like normal people. Like it's an illusion that some people hold on to for the rest of their lives. And it's funny, like we'll be like knowing what I know about myself and what you know about me and my history, we'll be out on, it always happens on vacation. We'll be out on vacation. We'll see a, like, like we were in Maine or whatever. The guy had a beer on the beach and I'm like, oh, that looks really nice. That guy's just like enjoying a beer, like at the sunset. And I bet that's really awesome. And I can romanticize for a moment how cool that would be and how I, I, I could probably do that. And then I have to stop real quick and go, wait a second. I never drank like that. Yeah. I drank like a pig. I drank like an idiot. Like I never just had a beer on the beach, you know, but I can romanticize those one or two times in my life where I got the mix just right. And I had a great evening and forget about the years and years and years of crap that, that I put us through and myself through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That little rush you get from figuring it out just right that time. Yep. And this is the exact same thing, but yeah. it's in a relationship with a partner. Right. It is the exact same thing. Okay. So when it comes to trauma bonded relationships, um, there are some risk factors, some let's call them red flags. I would say, mm. yeah, red flags. So these are things that like, okay, so anyone can develop a trauma bond. Let's just say that anyone okay. could develop a trauma bond. Okay? okay. But there are certain characteristics of people that make them more at risk to fall into one of these relationships. Okay. And so one of them is a low self-esteem. Another one is a lack of social support. Mm -hmm. Another one is having financial difficulties. We'll talk about why here in a moment. Uh, childhood maltreatment. Uh, so pre-existing trauma of some kind, um, poor mental health and lack of a personal identity. These things all sort of set yourself up or set you up to be in a position where this could happen to you. And when I look at these risk factors, I'm also looking at, if you blindfolded me and said, what are these? I would say, well, these are like, this looks like codependency. Mm -hmm. This is like the same exact thing. Yeah. Like this is the same thing that happens in the alcoholic addict relationship. Right. But remember, we're talking about 
narcissism here. Yes. So more on that later. Yeah. More on that later. Okay. So trauma bonds in general, like when I first heard this term, I thought it was just like another word for shared trauma. Yeah, you did. I'm like, isn't that like when you survive a plane crash with someone and you're just close forever? <laughs> you were like, no idiot. Like, <laughs> totally not it. And you kind of had to describe to me like, like, like what that really was. So walk me through how this applies to people that we worked with. Like what have you seen? Not in any, just in general, right? So knowing what you know about our relationship, folks that I know, folks that you know, like, how does this normally play out? Like, what do these relationships sort of look like from 30,000 feet? If you were to generalize the relationship. I hate it when you ask me questions. <laughs> this is our job. <laughs> we ask each other questions. Not necessarily, about- dear. Um, I mean, this is like, I guess, the signs of trauma bonding. Is that what you're asking? Uh, let's say I'm <laughs> listening to this thing for the first time and I'm trying to figure out if I'm in one of these relationships. Like, what do these look like with an addict or an alcoholic in your life? What does it look like? An abusive partner, right? Well, it's a roller coaster Starts- ride. Yeah, it's you're going to be manipulated and gaslit, and then you're the um, addict or alcoholic in your life will turn around and say, "I'm sorry, I love you so much. Our relationship is the best, and you have really good times with each other." And they that's called love bombing, kind of. Um, and then they screw up again, and you keep giving them this. It's a cycle that just keeps going. Yeah. And behind alcoholism, a lot of the time is an abusive person. Now abuse, like alcohol can lead to severity of the symptoms with abuse, but abuse stands alone as its own thing. Mm-hmm. Like alcohol doesn't necessarily turn a non-abusive person abusive. Like that's a misnomer. Like abuse is inside of that person. Mm-hmm. Alcohol makes it worse. Right. And it makes it, it triggers more at risk to become physical and violent, yep. but it's there. Yeah. It's kind of always there. Right. So thinking about these types of relationships and this is no one in particular, this is just the, you know, how these things generally play out. You're really going to lose it on this gnat, aren't you? It'll be smushed here in just a second. It's going to go in my mouth when I talk. I'm really, it's spinning around my face. I I don't know why. (laughs) Or I'm going to suck it up my nose. Okay. But what we have is generally a, you will have a lot of times a person who is financially dependent on usually it's a husband yeah and they've been together for a long time there are children involved and so there is a there's an imbalance of power right right there's an imbalance of power in the relationship yep so you have a need for this person Mm -hmm. and the alcoholism exacerbates the abuse and you go through these periods of time where you feel just lower than low you feel like you are just you know beat to the ground like there's no way I deserve this. And then that person turns around and in the same week, sometimes we'll take you to dinner. We'll tell you how awesome you are. We'll mm-hmm. tell you how great things are going, how they were sorry for the abuse. And it, it makes you hopeful. Yeah. You see potential. Right. And then it falls back into this cycle. Yeah. Once again. Yeah. And over time, these periods, these intermittent periods get shorter and shorter and shorter where the, the abuse just seems to be ongoing with very little reprieve and these mm-hmm. positive, you know, flow periods. Yeah. It just tends to get really nasty. Right. So signs that you're in a trauma bonded relationship. We just touched on one where there is a, a power, power imbalance. imbalance. Yeah. So walk me through a power imbalance. Like how does this like manifest itself? What does this look like when there's a imbalance well, of power? Well, like you said, the financial power. That's a big one. That might be the biggest. It one. is a big one. 
um, because, you know, we rely on you to pay our bills. <laughs> yeah. And this is just, I'm not saying it's right. Or it's wrong. I'm just saying this is, a, this is the way this happens a lot of time is that the, the wife, the maternal will stay home and take care of the kids, take care of the home. And they're reliant financially on the spouse that is, you know, out making money to pay the bills. And so when you look at the balance of power here, it, it takes away some of your freedom to make choices about, well, if I'm in an abusive relationship, why wouldn't I just leave? Well, mm-hmm. we just said it like right. logistically, sometimes it's like nearly impossible to just pack up and go. It's not impossible, but it is really hard. It makes yeah. it way more difficult. You're right, and then another impossible. one is, um, emotional power. So where someone loses their sense of emotional defense and feels defined by the relationship with their abuser. Oh, it becomes like their identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a tough one. I have, I have speak to that. I have very much, um, experience in that with you. Okay. Way back in the day, I was very just, um, I was defined by our relationship. I totally lost myself and everything that you did, I would do. And I, I don't know why I can't like, I could never pinpoint why I did that, but it was just, I was just defined by us. It was weird. So like when you looked at yourself, you saw like my partner Mm -hmm. rather than like Paige, like the awesome individual that you are, you saw just like my partner. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. I think that happens when we get caught up in these relationships and we come, you know, we take pride in our relationships. It become like some people go like way too far with sports teams. Yes. <laughs> you know, like their yes. identity becomes like Packers fan or Cowboys fan or right. whatever. And like that becomes part of your identity. Yeah. Yeah. Makes total sense. Okay. Um, Another sign is that if you have a circle of people around you who don't approve of your relationship. Yeah, this one's really big. There might be something to this. There is something to this. So a lot of people that we do talk to, and I I can relate to this. I understand it completely. We don't want to talk to other people about what's going on. Or if we do, they don't understand. And they just tell us, just leave. Just leave. Just leave your relationship. Yeah, that guy's a monster. Get out of there. Right, right. Because they can see things that we may not be able to see. Yeah, another set of eyes from 30,000 feet, once again, like looking down, is going to be able to see things and patterns that maybe you don't realize whenever you're right in the middle of it. Yep. And I have also been in this before. Yes, you have. Where when you're in it, it's not so easy to see it and it becomes so familiar to you because it's taken place possibly your whole entire life and it's just like the way things are. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's the toughest part is the like that's that potential piece, right? Like, you know, people like you think, you know, people anyway, in their heart. And it's like, well, I know why they do the things they do. And like, that's because of this, they were abused when they were younger or all these excuses and justifications is really what they are that we make Mm -hmm. it. it, There are, these are red flags though. These are warning signs. Mm -hmm. If you have other people telling you like, that's not right. Right. Because for me, I know that it, it took a group of people totally outside to see what was going on to be like, whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. This is, this is not right. Did you know that? And I was like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. It seems totally cool. What are you talking right. about? <laughs> but deep down, you always knew that there was something that was <clears throat> off. I always right? knew there was something that like, was that's off. That's the thing yeah. is that we know that there's something off, but we just don't know what it is until you start to surround yourself with a support system. That's like, eh, here's what it is. And this is, you know, a different perspective on how you can handle this situation. Yeah. So basically get a support system, listen to them a little bit, even though it hurts. Yep. Um, 
another one. So if you conceal negative emotions, so if you're mm-hmm. constantly hiding negative emotions and you only really let them out, like when you're alone or isolated, you could be in a trauma bond. Right. Because you don't want to say anything to your abuser. No. If they say, if you say it to them, they are going to act like the victim they flip or it around. they're going to flip it and make you feel guilty for expressing those feelings. So we, you know, don't, if you can't have a conversation with your partner about how you're feeling and if it's negative and they, you know, can't actually just talk with you about it, that's unhealthy. That means this is a toxic relationship you're in that you might want to question. Yeah. This guy, like hearing this stuff, I'm like just having all these moments like, gosh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I always knew that, I don't know, there was something, I knew that we could work on the validation piece with you. I know that was something that was really hard for you to do. Yeah, definitely was. And it was hard. Like I wouldn't, I would hold back a lot of my emotions or my feelings to you because I know that it would make me feel worse. And in a healthy relationship, you don't want to feel worse. You want to feel better. You want to feel safe and comforted and stuff like that. Yeah. If you, if your partner can't hold space for you to feel however you need to feel and they turn it around and flip it back on you and blame you for all these things and blame you for your emotions, like there, there could be a sign. Right. Could be a sign. Yep. Um, it could also just be a sign that there's a total asshole. Like, you know, maybe it's not exactly <laughs> this, but it's a sign. Um, another one is that you f- might feel indebted to your abuser. So we talked about like the financial piece and some of that goes along with this. Like mm-hmm. I've heard some really toxic relationship types where the spouse, usually a male and I'm not beating up on guys, but, um, men tend to be abusers and men also tend to be narcissists. Like yeah. 75% of narcissists are men, I believe. Right. And when it comes to abusers in general, this is a, this happens to be a male trait. It is what it is. So right. I'm just going to speak how it is. I'm not trying to be a jerk or nothing. No, it happens male on the other end as well, is what it is. but it, just it is. does happen on the other end. I'm not gonna say it doesn't. It's just yeah. more typical. So yeah. for ease of conversation, I'm just going to refer to men doing these things. So mm-hmm. a lot of time you'll have a man who earns an income and like you're, that's supposed to be like, the end all be all like I pay your bills. I provide for you. I do all this stuff. Mm. And they will also hold things over your head. Like remember that time in 2007 when I was really nice to you and I took you to, you know, wherever it might've been. And remember that time that your grandfather died and I was there for you. Like normal, healthy relationships don't do that. No, they don't don't, hold things. You don't keep score. Yeah. You've never done that with me. I'm glad to hear that. At least. (laughs) (laughs) But if, and, and also, we're just trying to make it relatable. Well, well the, I've done things. I'm not perfect. I've done shit like that. I've held, th- held things against you. Okay. I can't think of anything like at the top of my head, but yeah, I'm not perfect. Yeah, we're not perfect. Like, don't ever get the impression that we're perfect. No, we're, we're imperfect people just trying to be better. Right. That's it. That's it. On the other side of this, because. Um, the, the first thing we just talked about, like, you know, the financial piece and like, look what I've done for you. That's all a way of establishing control. Mm-hmm. Uh, abusers, more than anything, want control. Oh, yeah. Like, they just want control. They want control of you, over your life, over your thoughts, over your actions, your emotions, every bit of it. They want control. Um, and this happens a lot when people are actively using as well. But another piece is that if you've ever made a mistake in the past, they will hold that over your head for the rest of your life. And here's why this is really difficult. All these things we've just discussed... The people that end up with alcoholics, addicts, a lot of the time happen to be empaths. Mm -hmm. These are people who feel feelings like you would not believe. These are Mm -hmm. incredibly emotionally genuine people that are introspective and they are always looking at their part in things. Mm -hmm. And so 
like we've always said, like, it doesn't matter what it is. You've got a part in it, even if it's 1%, right? Yeah. And that's generally, I will say that it's kind of stuff to people whenever I'm trying to get them to see maybe how they had a part when they were wronged. But the other side of that is that with an empath, they will take that 1% and they will amplify it to like a hundred. Yeah. And it's like, they will disregard bad things that have happened because they, they look at within themselves like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And it, it leaves you feeling indebted to your abuser. Yeah. So in an alcoholic addict relationship, it can be very, very tough to deal with. Yeah. And then, um, this is perhaps the most like insidious of all of them. And we talk about this a lot, a lot is that you experience a loss of identity. If you're experiencing a loss of identity, this could be a sign that you're in a trauma bonded relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that just about everyone that we come into contact with has this to some degree. Yeah. They have lost their identity. They've lost themselves and their journey and their healing is about rediscovering themselves. Uh huh. So let's run through some of these things. Like what is a loss of identity? First of all, like what is, what are the signs of that? And how do you recognize these things? Okay. So you have an intense fear or hesitation about leaving the relationship, even if you know you should. Um, you constantly cover up or make excuses for their behavior. Your relationship is moving at a fast pace. That, oh, that's, that's a, another one of these. It happens a lot in new relationships. Yes. That evolve very quickly. Right. Very right, quickly. Right. It can take place in long-term ones, well, though. This kind of goes back to what Matt was saying earlier, and this is what I see across the board with so many people that I work with, is that you believe the mistreatment is your fault or that you deserved it. And that breaks my heart just saying it and hearing it every time I hear it because they're blamed for so much shit. And it's just sad because they're just like, what am I doing wrong? I need If you tell me what I'm doing wrong, I can fix it. Right. Um, you feel close to the individual, even if you haven't known them for long. Um, that's another one. If it's an earlier relationship, the individual constantly gaslights and manipulates you. Yeah. Which is, this happens in narcissistic relationships, especially, but we've also talked about this very thing right. with addiction. Yeah. But in, in addiction, so the difference is like, these things are the same, but they're different. And when it comes to manipulation and gaslighting, a lot of times the, the addicts attempt to deflect um, attention away from their problem looks is, is, is the gaslighting manipulation when it comes to a narcissist and someone with NPD, it is more a way to gain fuel for their supply. Yeah. Like you are their supply and they are trying to, you know, they, they, they need you to admire them. They need that recognition and that validation. (laughs) That's like, that's their drug. Yep. Um, you feel isolated from loved ones you in your life, which we've talked about a lot as well, because there are many reasons why we do isolate ourselves could be because we don't like to hear what other people say, or no one understands what we're going through, which is definitely valid. Um, and also it could be because your abuser is controlling you to where they don't want you to be around certain people Mm -hmm. that happens too. Yeah. (laughs) If you've got people in your life that are telling you how it is, that's very dangerous to alcoholics, addicts, narcissists, all alike. Absolutely. Yeah. They do not like those. They will make up all kinds of things about how this person just doesn't want to see you happy and they're jealous and gives all kinds of crazy stuff that they'll do. Right. And then there was one more. Oh, sorry. You feel like no one else can fulfill your needs, but them. Oh man. That's a tough one. It is because you feel like you can only be loved by this one person. And that's the How biggest lie you could possibly ever tell yourself. It's so heartbreaking. It is a lie. Because once you find yourself, I tell you what, oh my gosh, you're going to move mountains. <laughs> yeah. And trauma bonding. So, okay. So 
for black and white thinkers out there, right? So all, <laughs> you always all, have to tiptoe around this because you know how I roll. All relationships have ups and downs. Okay. It is natural to romanticize things. We're not talking about a normal relationship, healthy relationship where there's space held for feelings, emotions, and thoughts, and opinions. We're talking about abusive relationships. We're talking about relationships where you've had the ugliest things said to you on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And not to say that it's necessarily frequency that dictates abuse. It's, it's abuse. It's the need to control you. It's the need to, 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 to keep you and to control the, you know, the things that you feel that you act on, uh, the things that you want and desire. Like that's, that's abuse. <laughs> Excuse us. We're both struggling not to cough over here. Um, but you can have a healthy relationship and still have ups and downs. That's totally, totally normal. normal. But it's also, you're going to have more of that positive feeling and more of that love feeling than you will the negative. And these types of relationship, it's typically more sadness and fear and negativity than it is, you know, that feeling of safe and security. And so when it comes to trauma bonding, when it comes to narcissistic behavior, when it comes to addiction, um, alcoholism, all these things. I think that something that you talked about earlier, potential, something that keeps people around is this thought that they can change this person. Yeah. And it's just like this, this thought that there's, you can there's, influence there's some way that you could like save that person inside that you can kind of see. It's like, man, if I could just bring that out, I'd be set. Right. You know, but that is a, that's an adventure that you could spend the rest of your life on and right. never get anything done. Ultimately, abusive people have to deal with the abuse. They have to deal with why they are abusers. Mm-hmm. You know, these symptoms aren't going to fix anything. Yep. Like if you just take away the alcohol. It's still it, going to happen. Yeah, it's still going to happen. If this person is narcissistic, it's still going to happen. Mm-hmm. And like, it's really tough to diagnose. And I've read a lot about this, like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Like, how do you tell if you're dealing with a narcissist or an alcoholic? Yeah. It's very difficult. Because yeah. These, these symptoms are essentially the same. So similar. Like you can look at the, yeah, the signs, symptoms, all of it. Like you could do a test and you would not be able to tell the difference. And mm-hmm. researchers have a tough time with this too. And narcissism and alcoholism do have, are, are shown to be related where you, there is a high frequency of substance abuse disorder in narcissists. Mm-hmm. So which came first? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I do know that alcoholism is treatable and NPD is really not. Yeah. I mean, it is. It can be changed over Managed. time, but it's... We don't know too much about outlook that. is not great. I'll put it that way. Yeah. But for just a moment, we can talk about what this behavior looked like in our marriage and what it looked like when I was using. Yeah. And maybe for someone who does have a loved one or spouse in recovery, maybe provide some hope. I don't know. Like what was it like dealing with me? I don't know. 12 years ago. When you were using. Yeah. I mean, there was just the lies, constant lying and the constant, you know, but you did always say, I promise to be a good man. So that's where that potential came in. No, oh, I meant it too, man. So then there would be the lies and then the manipulation and, you know, gaslighting that I, if I were to say something, you would tell me I'm wrong or whatnot. And then you would come back and say, I promise to be a good man. I love you so much and this and that. And I would get high off of that. Oh, think about, that breaks my heart hearing that. But but you got through it. Well, think about it in terms of some of the things that, are more difficult to change. Like the, the self-esteem that the low self-esteem that leads to like the grandiose behavior, like the need to feel important all the time, like the entitlement and all that stuff. Like when I was using, I was just like, I was a mess. Yeah. Freaking disaster. Yeah. Like my emotions were incredibly unstable. Mm -hmm. You never knew what you were going to get. Oh yeah. That's true. Like day to day. Like you never knew who you were coming home to. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It could be 
Jekyll angry dude or somebody who's super like or his if your Adderall was coming down. I was like, oh man, I need to stay away from him if he's coming off of his Adderall. Yeah, like Jekyll and Hyde, man. It was bad. And so, like, I I do want to provide some sort of some glimmer of hope that if if someone really, really, really wants to address their abusive behavior, um, you know, the alcoholism. If you remove the substance, it becomes easier to address these things. But I addressed all the underlying things, yep. which led to growth over time, and I am a work in progress, and I always will be for the rest of my life. But there is hope for someone. Absolutely. There's hope for someone. It's fucking awesome. But having said that to the black and white thinkers, don't just rest on that. Yeah, you know? that's true. Let them show you something before you do anything at all. Right. Because we've just described a relationship where one person is essentially stuck. Yeah. They're stuck. Mm-hmm. And so uh, next obvious question is like, how do you break out of this? What do you do? Like, how do you break a trauma bond? Do you have to separate yourself from the relationship? First and foremost. And I think that's possibly the most difficult thing. And like, that's a, that's one step, but that's also a process, right? It's a process. It's coming to the understanding like of the truth of this, right? So it doesn't just happen overnight. It's not something that you're just going to be like, okay, well that's simple. I'll just, yeah. Well, let's say that you don't have a job and you do rely on this person. What's the step? What's the next step? What can you do? That's different than what you've been doing this whole time. Look for a job. Let me break it up. I think this is helpful. Breaking up that first step, like, Remove yourself from the relationship. Okay, that's loaded. That's yeah. such a pregnant concept. Absolutely. Like, I think that if you focus on the truth mm-hmm. and you focus on the current situation, yep. then you are already in a place where you can see this thing from the outside. So yeah. what is my what does the last month look like? You can even keep track of it. Keep track of the the yes. tirades write and the abuse. Down. Write this stuff. Keep down. track of it. Absolutely. You've done this. You've journaled this stuff. Yes, it is very tremendously important. recalling I, it. Yes, and I, I tell because my clients so easy, to write things down too. So easy when you're trauma bonded to forget these things. Yeah, I've even had to talk to you about that very skill. Like mm-hmm. I've forgotten so much. Like I remember a couple of the really bad ones, mm-hmm. but the other stuff that most people consider like that's horrible. I forget about it because it's just my norm. Yeah, you just forget it. Right. So writing it down, so focus on the truth, focus on the current situation and begin journaling this stuff. Yep. That's the first step. If they're, you know, verbally and emotionally abusive on a regular basis, like start a little tally in your journal. Yep. This is when it's happened. Maybe some specifics about that event. So when it comes time to make this difficult decision, you can look back at the reality. Let's look at the current situation and the truth. And then it becomes easier to say, okay, yeah, I realize that I'm in a really difficult situation and I have. I'm not making it up. I've got proof. Yeah. So I understand I have to leave. So I think it's helpful to sort of put it into perspective. Yeah. That makes sense. And this is also, if you've completely lost your identity and you don't know who you are, this is a really good time for you to start focusing on yourself and doing things for self care and trying to build up that self esteem. Yeah. Practicing self care is tremendously important. I think, have we done an episode on self care? No, but I want to do one because I I think it's been mentioned like more times than I can count, but we've never really like honed in on it. Like examples, things we've done. Right. Because a lot of people they'll come to me and say, I don't even know what self care looks like. How do I even start? I don't even know how to focus on me. I don't even know where to start. I don't know where my values are. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm coming into play and I can help break it down for them. And I have a whole bunch of different tools okay. for that. Awesome. So, so be looking forward to that one. That's going to be a good one, but you're right. Practicing self-care. Is yes. A big you've got to build up your this. self-esteem. And if you want to really figure out what you want to do with this relationship. Yeah. And then, uh, develop a support group of some kind. So whether it be loved ones in your family, um, if they don't understand, don't try to make them, Seek someone else. Uh, there are support groups online. We've got, a, we've got a pretty awesome community. Shout out to full community. 
Um, we do calls weekly. Yeah, and there are also several others out there. Like I'm not just saying we're the only no, one. No, no, I know that. that. I was just no, yeah, we, throwing it out yeah, there. Yeah, that's a great we do. example. We've got a, a weekly call. We're doing them Thursdays right now. Right, and Subject it's going to change. change. <laughs> It'll change next week, Subject actually. to change because of a self-care activity. Yep, because I chose something for myself. Paige signed up for his awesome class, and she'll be doing that Thursday night. So we'll switch it up. But um, but that's a place where you can come and feel like, okay, these people get me. This yeah. is a support group. These people understand what I'm going through. They're rooting for me. They want to see me win. So if you don't get support from your direct family, which I hope they do, um, then you can get it somewhere else. Practicing self-care. talked about that. Um, and then allowing yourself time to heal. Mm-hmm. Like we... We've talked about these like 30, 60, 90 day marks before how like at 30 days, you will feel like you're making progress at 60 days. You will have like the biggest setback of all time. And at 90 days, you feel like you've actually learned something. You're starting to crawl out of it. Yep. But we're talking about three months, which three feels months. like an eternity sometimes, It does. but allowing yourself time to heal. And I think that anytime I'm dealing with someone who's like, especially from my end of things, like working through recovery, like those first 90 days are crucial for healing in general. I yeah. think that's when new habits are established. It's when you're learning a lot of truths about yourself. It's when you're starting when to everything is raw. take new actions. Yeah. Super raw, super raw. Yeah. And like, like when you, when you take away the pacifier here, it's going to feel like withdrawal. Mm-hmm. It's going to feel like panic. Yeah. Like the way I've always described like massive change in life. It's like, um, you remember back in the day when radios, uh, you could turn up the radio and get out of the car and then get back in the car and the radio would still be loud. Mm-hmm. Now they're all digital and like they don't do that anymore. Yeah. But like I used to do this to my uncle all the time. I would, <laughs> if I was over at his house, he had like this old Woody and I would get in. If I knew he was going somewhere that night, I would crank it up like all the way and then mm-hmm. shut the door. And yeah. So whenever he got in the car, he would Maybe start really the car. And be, yeah. That's what life feels like. Mm-hmm. To me anyway, like whenever I'm undergoing massive changes and I've removed a pacifier of some kind, yes. like whenever I got sober, this was like this, I've made other major life changes. Life, your nerves are just so freaking raw. It's like yes. you're sunburned. And this happens with um, leaving an unhealthy relationship as well. It's Absolutely, like detoxing. It Absolutely. You really do come from, you. your body goes through the same type of things as detox. It's very similar to what y'all yeah. go through. You'll be guilt ridden. You will yep. feel like, am I doing the right thing? Yep. You know, I, I, I screwed up. I need to go back. Like all these things are normal. Okay. Just give yourself time to heal. Yes. Give yourself time. The Res- important thing the is to break that cycle and to not dip back into your drug of choice, which would be your partner. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think the last one, um, I advise anyone who's really going through this to seek counseling, yep. professional counseling. Yep. Incredibly helpful. Podcasts are great. Books are great. Coaches are awesome. But when it comes to professional counseling, there's no substitute for a professional licensed therapist to walk mm-hmm. you through this kind of stuff. Right. A quick break in the action to let you know about an exciting development in the Tufo universe. When we started this thing, we said we would never work with an advertiser or company unless it's something that we believed in and we already use. If you're looking for professional, affordable mental health care, look no further than Taylor Counseling Group, your trusted source for accessible therapy in Texas. Taylor Counseling Group believes that everyone deserves premium mental health care, regardless of their income level. That's why they offer reliable and affordable services at 12 locations across Texas. They've made affordability a priority. They are in network with most major insurance, and the standard private rate is only $100 per session, significantly lower than many other practices offering the same high-quality therapy. They believe 
believe that getting the help you need shouldn't drain your wallet. Scheduling an appointment is quick and easy with their convenient online booking tool. No complicated processes or long wait times. They value your time and ensure that you can access the care you deserve without any hassle. At Taylor Counseling Group, they believe in a personalized approach to therapy. The professionally trained counselors offer a diverse range of services, including individual counseling, couples counseling, family therapy, play therapy for children, and even specialized techniques like cognitive processing and existential psychotherapy. They're here to help you navigate life's challenges and develop a personalized treatment plan tailored to your unique goals. Taylor Counseling Group is your partner on the path to mental wellness. Experience professional, affordable care that puts you first. Visit their website, taylorcounselinggroup.com, or call them today to schedule an appointment and tell them Tufo Couple sent you. A link and phone number is going to be available in the show notes. And back to the action. Um, it's extremely important. So hope we've given you some kind of background on trauma bonding and how these buzzwords that you might be hearing about apply to your life. And I think that when we talk about trauma bonding in the, the realm of alcoholism, addiction, and partnership marriages, it's, it's real. It's as real as anything I've ever come across. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is to a T it's textbook. Yes. And, uh, I think oh, we could link this somewhere. An awesome article we found that we've kind of worked through, um, to talk about some of the stuff. If anyone has any more questions about it. Yep. Okay. Uh, listener question. I posted it in the community. Oh, did you? I did yesterday. Check out in the community. It's in there. Okay. Yeah. It's in the community. Yeah. Okay. Listener question. Okay. Question was, when is a good time to discuss how their addiction affected you in the process? Mm-hmm. This is a great question. Yep. A great question. So, um, is very common. And this person is with someone who's recovering and the addict just wants to forget about the past. They want to sweep it under the rug. They claim that when this is brought up, it brings them shame and it holds them back from moving forward. And so as the spouse, this person says, I'm still grieving and processing what has happened in the quote unquote past because their quote unquote past is still this person's present. And they're not just going to allow the stuff to be swept under the rug, but the addict, the you know, newly recovered alcoholic is avoidant, doesn't want to talk about any of this stuff. It's too heavy for them. Uh, and so when is a good time to talk about this? Is there a... There's you not know, a time frame. Yeah, so... It depends on their recovery. What was your experience with this? My experience is that I did not address it for a while because I allowed you to do what you had to do. Um because I was proud of you for, or I was grateful that you went and got help. And I was grateful that you had to be in recovery and do what you needed to do. I didn't want to rock the boat early on. There was no reason to bring up things that were, that happened to me in the past, but it also didn't really start to affect me until later on too. So I don't know if I have the best advice on this because mine was kind of different. I allowed you to do what you had to do. I wasn't going to let things get swept under the rug and I would bring things up occasionally, but I knew that you would get there eventually to where you would want to discuss it. You had a lot of faith in me. I did have a lot of faith in you. Wow. It means a lot. It really does. Really? Yeah, seriously. It means a lot. Cause like I'm looking at this and like I've dealt with this working with people through addiction there. And I've heard this from the other side. It's like, Hey, my wife keeps trying to bring up all this stuff. And like, I just don't know, like, is that really important right now? Mm-hmm. And like the answer is like, yes, it's important. Absolutely. It's important, but you can't invalidate that. 
but I think that there is a time and a place to address some of these really heavy things. Mm-hmm. Um, early on, we've talked about like the changes that are going on uh, physiologically in the brain and within someone's recovery. I think in the very beginning, you're so focused on just not drinking. It's about all that you can withstand. Yeah. But I would never recommend to someone to not listen to their partner and to validate them. Like it costs nothing to validate them. Right. You don't necessarily have to make amends for all these things and fix them today, but to validate them, that can happen right away. I mean, be honest and communicate. They could be, they could say, you know, I understand you're feeling this way. I understand that I hurt you. And I know there's a lot of things that we did just, that we need to discuss. And I will get to that, that point at some point, you know, eventually we will get there. I'm not going to let it get swept under the rug and I'm here for you. Yeah. Like the process, if if this person's working 12 steps anyway, in the first three steps, they're going to be essentially establishing like a, um, an idea of what we call a higher power. Um, they're going to be admitting that, you know, this problem is something they have no control over. And then they're going to start to do their actual work, which is the process of going through the resentments, their fears, um, their sex inventory. They're going to be, um, you know, turning these things over and sort of relinquishing control over them. Another higher power concept. And then eight and nine, they start to make amends. And that's when the stuff really that the rubber meets the road with amends. Yeah. Um, and depending on the pace that they're working the program, this could take anywhere from nine months to a year when they're actually at that step. Now I'm not saying that I think you should, you should be patient nine months to a year and hope that they right. get there. Right. I, I would hope that whoever asked this question would have their, their partner chime in and listen to this. And I would say to them that the things that you have done need to be acknowledged doesn't mean you necessarily have to fix them today, but you need to acknowledge them. Mm-hmm. So as your partner is sitting there tell, talking to you about how they felt, you need to shut up and listen for a moment mm-hmm. and just listen. Yeah. I'm not asking you to fix it. Don't come up with solutions. Just let them talk, damn it, just for a moment. You right. sit there and listen. Okay? Right. It's their turn. Yes. Sit there and Give listen. Give them that space. And you get to wear this. This is part of recovery. You have to look the stuff in the face and you have to own it. You did these things. Yep. You have to own them. I'm not saying it's a, it's a it's a process of shame. I'm not saying that you're less than. I'm saying you need to listen to your partner and just let them communicate to you how they felt. Let them process that. And then at the end of it, rather than trying to make excuses or justifying or anything else, just say, I understand that's the way you feel. Like, I'm terribly sorry for these things and just know that I'm working on them. I'm working on these things right now. And if I had it my way, I would have fixed these already, but I'm just not quite there yet. I'm still in a whirlwind trying to figure my own shit out. But I promise you, I acknowledge these things and I will make this right somehow, some way mm-hmm. that would be, I would think like, okay, ideal, yeah. ideal an answer, you right. know, something that you right. could, you could acknowledge and then give them validation yeah. and say, okay, yeah, moving forward, I will address these things. But you know, does that take, uh, does that take a week? Does that take a month? Does it take a year? I think as a spouse anyway, you should be able to address these things when, whenever you feel like it. I yeah. think that I, I teach guys that I work with that it's none of your business how they feel. It's none of your business what time frame that they address this stuff on. It's none of your business, dude. You Damn. lost control. You've lost control over your entire life. You were not to dictate terms of anything for a little while. Yeah. We'll get back there. Right. But for here for a while, you just need to let the world kind of just be. Yeah. And if that's part of the world, then you just need to sit there and acknowledge it. And I think for an addict, they feel shame. And that's that's what's dangerous is that shame is is feeling like this is who I am. This is what I am. Mm-hmm. Whereas I look at recovery as saying like, these are it's more of like guilt. Like these are things that I've done, but that's not necessarily who I am. 
right. trying hard not to cough. <laughs> I'm it's sorry. Like, I'm, it's not necessarily who I am. These are things that I've done. I acknowledge that I've done these things, but I can make living amends moving forward. And there can be a better tomorrow. Yeah. So if if it's if it's conjuring feelings of shame for them, they're going to have to process that on their time. Um, I think it's really helpful though. And anytime you're talking about harms that have done, it's important not to. It's it's not a a contest of who can make who feel worse, right? Yeah. But just by you telling me, like you telling me what you'd been through, it certainly made me feel like crap. But I needed to hear some of this stuff. That's not our fault. It's not your fault that I felt this way. I right. felt this way because I had genuine remorse and empathy. Yeah. That's a good thing. That's yeah. like an emotion I hadn't experienced in quite some time. Right. It is what it is, you know? And if they're working a program and they're in a safe place, then they're going to be able to work through this stuff. Right. And like I said, healthy communication around it. Like you don't necessarily owe them anything as far as like making their life easy. Like you can support them and say, I've been devastated by you. I've been hurt very badly by you. Mm-hmm. So as far as like timing. Um, I think that was great. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that was great. And I, and I hope the partner would hear that. And be yes, like, okay. please I hope, share I hope that. some sense of that. Yes. So yeah, I think that... Uh, that wraps it up. That's cool. our listener question for the week. Those are fun. Y'all keep sending those in and we will keep answering them. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I think that's all we've got this week, right? Yes. Is that it? I feel like there's something we're just missing. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You're trying so hard not to cough. It's, you this is awful. Yes. Let's go. All right. Until next time, I am Matt. I am Paige. And we'll see you. Bye.